let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we are just so thankful that you have given us your word, that you uh, enable us to uh, have a glimpse into your mind, a glimpse of who you are and how you have worked through history. And uh, God, I just pray that we would be uh, people who are diligent to study your word, to try to understand it correctly. Um, Lord, it can just be so easy to uh, rest on what we've learned in the past, to um, allow other people to just give us all the teaching. Um, and uh, God, it's, it is so rewarding to do the study ourselves, to uh, really be uh, fully convinced, fully persuaded of the things that we believe because we have examined them ourselves and we have worked through the arguments. And uh, God, I just I just pray that we would not shrink from that. Uh, just It is a, a lot of work and uh, God, you have called us to be diligent workers. So I just pray that you would give us uh, the right attitude as we approach your word, that it is worth uh, the effort of digging into it. And uh, God, just that you would grant us wisdom, that you would give us the ability to understand things correctly, and um, not just from an academic perspective, but Lord, that we would uh, see in your word the things that we are to do, and that we would apply those things to our lives, uh, and so um, become the people that you would have us to be. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, continuing our study on how to study the Bible. We have talked about why it's important. We've talked about the role of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about uh, finding the meaning of a text. We've talked about identifying genres. Uh, scripture interprets scripture. Paying attention to the context. Dealing with the original languages. Looking at the historical context. And we last time talked about steps that we can go through as we attempt to study a passage. And just kind of break it down and like, here's how we do it. Um, now, throughout the lesson, um, we've talked a little bit about study tools that you can use. Um, it's just popped up here and there. And as I promised, we've got a whole lesson on study tools. So, I'm just going to start with a question. What are some tools that we might use to help us study the Bible? So, this paper... Study Bibles. Study Bibles, mm-hmm. Confessions and creeds of the past and other Christians. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good one. Confessions and creeds. Yeah. Commentaries. Commentaries. That was yeah. Okay. Huh? Anything else? I mean, there's all sorts of books out there by Christians on particular topics or particular books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There's just all sorts of books um, that have been written. Um, one thing that and just becoming increasingly a tool uh, that's kind of just a broad brush tool is Bible software. Um, there is a host of Bible software out there that um, can be very useful for studying the Bible. Um, and it's, I mean, it, I find it hard to keep up with, you know, what old Bible software there is. Um, I know just, just from what I've seen, you know some of the some of the popular and useful Bible software. You have Olive Tree Bible. You have uh, Logos Bible software. You have Accordance. 
uh, Bible software. Uh, there's something called eSword. Uh, just for web-based applications, you have stuff like Blue Letter Bible or Bible Gateway. Um, these are um, just, you know, handy ways that you can you can access tools for studying the Bible. Now, they're basically going to encompass the you know the tools that we're talking about here. It's, um, I mean, as we're talking about various tools for studying the Bible, um, you you know you can get physical books, you can get eBooks, or basically you can get stuff as part of Bible software. So, um, but it is it is a handy. Uh, option to use, and especially just with like the searching capability, and, uh, it, it just can be it can make Bible study very convenient to use uh, Bible software. So, um, if you have access to it, I would highly recommend you you use Bible software um, just to to make your job a little easier. Uh, something else um, that you basically use Bible software for, um, and so it's kind of Eclipse physical books in this respect, but it's a concordance. Does anybody know what a concordance is? Yeah? I think I know it's a book that shows where each word is in the Bible. That's exactly right. So yeah, if you pick a particular word, like if you're studying a passage and there's a word there, and you're like, well, I'd like to know where else this is used uh, in the Bible, and how is it used in those ways, you can look in a concordance. And they're going to say, okay, this word, it's used in all these other places. Um, and so you can just go look them up and uh, and see how they're used in the other places. Um, and as we talked about, you know, the way you study the Bible, that's one of the things you do want to do is, is look at words and see how they're used. Um, so, again, Bible software makes that very easy to do. Um, there's also cross-references. Um a lot of times you'll see cross-references in your Bible. Um, you know, there'll just be something in the margin or on the footnote. Um, and a cross-reference um, basically allows you to look up related passages. So it's just whoever created the cross-reference decided, okay, this passage that we're looking at here, it's related to these other passages over here. And so if you're studying this, you might want to go look at these other passages. Um, so that's... Uh, obviously a very handy thing because you know, a lot of times it's like some other passage is going to shed light on what you're looking at. Um, it's it's kind of, uh, you know, the idea that we've talked about of context and the idea of scripture interprets scripture. Um, so cross-references allow you to um, just look at a whole bunch of different passages. Um, there's also... Uh, gospel parallels. Uh, does anybody know what a gospel parallel is? It's something I don't, I don't think people use a whole lot, but sometimes they do. It's where you uh, have the same, the gospels, at least, except for John, mostly, the, the gospels will parallel each other. Mm-hmm. So you're listing the same references and how they're described in each book. Yeah that's, yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, you can do this yourself just by, you know, figuring out where they where they match. But there's also books you can buy like this, uh, Synopsis of the Four Gospels. Um, you know, it, it is primarily Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the ones where you're going to see the most parallels. Um, but, you know, John is included as well. You know, and the way this is laid out, it just, it simply lays it out in columns. And so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you can see they just match it up so that 
um, you get the the same section of the events in the life of Christ are just brought together from the um, from the different gospels, and so it's very easy to compare them um, by using something like that. So that is a very handy tool. Um, there are also a number of original language resources. Um, anything from simply texts, like you can go pick up a Greek New Testament, you can go pick up a, a Hebrew Old Testament. Uh, there are lexicons. It's, a lexicon is basically just a dictionary. Um, that's where you're going to be able to look up the, the Greek word or the Hebrew word, right. and it's going to give you what the definition of the word is and kind of like the different, the different definitions the word can have. Uh, you can look at grammars, um, which are going to just discuss the the use of uh, the grammar of the original language and give you discussions about um, you know what what this you know uh, word structure might mean or you know how this tense is used and things like that. Um, you know, and a lot of those are. They're definitely more technical, and so you have to have at least a little bit of facility with the original languages to really be able to make use of them. Um, but they are tools that are out there and can be useful. Um, something that's a little easier for th those of us who don't really know the original languages um, are parallel translations of the Bible. Um, again, you can do this way easier with a computer these days, but, you know... You can go and you can you can go to the store and you can pick up a Bible that is you know two translations side by side or maybe even I've seen as many as four translations side by side uh, so that you just have right there in one Bible you know different translations and you can just compare them and see what they look like um, and of course this is even without using a physical book or using um, you know, a, a parallel that somebody else has made. You can you can make your own. I mean, it's just incredibly easy. Just because you can, you know, use Bible software or web-based Bible thing to just copy and paste sections of the Scripture, and then you just choose your different whichever translations you want to compare. Make a Word document, create a table, you know, and just in each you know cell of the table, drop the translation you want. Um, I've, I've definitely found that very useful when I've been studying through a book of the Bible and wanted to just like really be thorough in looking at multiple translations. I basically just got the whole book cut and pasted um, with the various translations, and it just made it. Um, and it, you know, also it's, it's in a word document, so you can go through and you can start highlighting things, uh, you know, and making footnotes and stuff like that. So it's very easy to to be really thorough in your comparisons of the different translations. There are also uh, Bible dictionaries and encyclopedias. Um, so these can serve as um, cross-reference uh, by collecting information about a topic and providing the references uh, that you can study so that you can study them for yourself. So it's you know, it's, I mean, a lot of times just like even like books of theology uh, would fall into this category or uh, creeds and confessions. Um, those are where a topic is going to be covered and it's going to, it's going to give you like the passages of scripture that talk about it so that you can compare them. Um, they can also serve to provide information not contained in the Bible. 
such as historical context. And we spent um, a whole lesson talking about uh, being aware of the historical context and how that can affect the uh, the interpretation of the text. Um, so, I mean, there's various resources out there. Here's one that I happen to have. Uh, this is Illustrated Manners and Customs of the Bible by J.I. Packer and M.C. Tenney. Uh, those are the editors. So it's just a nice little reference book that gives you uh, some, some information that you wouldn't necessarily get um, when you're studying the Bible um, because it's just, it's information that the Oftentimes, the, the the authors and the readers of the Bible in you know originally they would have just known these things, but we don't, and so uh, we need some sort of reference so that we can uh, so that we can access that information. Um, and then we also have Bible atlases. Um, again, like computers make it so easy. You got tons of them. I just happen to have this, the Atlas of the Bible and Christianity. This is kind of the the one that I've used for ages and ages and ages, and it's just it's just got tons of different maps, and it shows you the different travels that people have made, and all sorts of stuff. And if you uh, if you have maps, uh, it can really help you to understand geographical references as you're studying the scriptures. Come across various geographical references. People go here. Uh, you know, these two places are at war, whatever it may, might be, um, if you look at a map, it can really help you to understand what's going on there. So, um, but again, computers make a lot of that just really easy. And then finally, we're going to talk about commentaries and Bible studies, and that's going to be the bulk of our discussion. So we're going to dive into that fairly thoroughly. So, any questions about any of the other tools before we go on? And if you guys want to look at any of the ones that I brought, uh, you're welcome to, to do that. Um, so, commentaries and study Bibles. Um, now, uh, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to focus on uh, commentaries. The Bible, uh, study Bibles are very similar, and we're going to, we're going to, talk about some of the differences um, kind of after we've discussed commentaries but they are they do function basically the same way so commentaries are what I would say are the most comprehensive tool for studying scripture uh, I would say they are the most rewarding tool and they are the most dangerous tool so we're going to look at each of those things um, just kind of evaluate them. So they're, they're, they're the most comprehensive tool. Um, well, actually, something else I want to say. Because um, you might you might eject. I mean, commentaries are they're big. It's lots of reading. If you ever looked at a commentary, it's it's lots of work to use a commentary. Um, you might say, well, I'm not a pastor. I don't teach Bible studies. Uh, commentaries aren't for people like me. Um, but I would say that commentaries are a great tool for Bible study, even if you're just doing personal Bible study. Uh, many are very accessible, uh, even for people who have not had extensive education, uh, and many are either free or very affordable. Um, and there's nothing to prevent every Christian from incorporating commentaries into their personal Bible study. So. Really, even if you're just doing your own personal Bible study, you're not planning to teach anybody, 
you don't have a lot of education, you don't have a lot of money, you can still greatly benefit by just going on the internet and looking up some commentaries and using them to help you as you study the scripture to try to get a better understanding. Yeah. <laughs> we'll find so that's just kind of my my uh, my pitch for commentaries are actually for everybody. Uh, so they are the most comprehensive tool. So a good commentary is going to bring together uh, the information from all the other tools that we've talked about and explain how they help uh, interpret the text. For example, uh, when the meaning of a word can be more clearly understood by seeing how it's used elsewhere in the Bible, the commentary will give you the relevant information from the concordance. So, yeah, you can go to the concordance, you can look up every use, um, and that's a very valuable thing to do. If you're, if you're doing in-depth study, you should do that. Um, but the commentators have already done that work, and they're going to point to the passages that specifically are going to help you understand how the word is used. They say, well, when we look over at this usage of the word, we get this understanding, and that helps us to see it. So uh, they're kind of doing the work for us there. Um, or if there's an element of historical context that sheds uh, light on the text, the information from the Bible encyclopedia will be referenced. Uh, the, the commentary just kind of brings it all together. It's basically somebody who's already done the, the study of the Bible and they've used these tools and they've brought it together and they've put it in a way that we can just read it and, and understand what's going on. And as I said, the, uh, the commentary is the most rewarding tool. Um, commentaries will often help you see things that you missed. Uh, they will help you to uh, catch false assumptions that you brought to the text. Uh, they will challenge the flaws in your reasoning, and they will train you to become better at interpreting on your own, because you will see the way that they do it in the commentary. Um, you'll kind of see what, you know, what things you should do differently. And just in general, they're going to give you a deeper understanding of the text. Uh, so they are... I would say, the most rewarding tool you can use in your Bible study. But the big bad at the end, they're the most dangerous tool. Um, if used improperly, commentaries can lead you into error and prevent you from learning to interpret the Bible. Uh, it is very important that we use commentaries as a tool for study, not shortcuts to answers. Uh, that can really be a temptation. If you read a text and you don't understand it, uh, you should not just pick up a commentary, read the interpretation, and then be satisfied now that you know the meaning of the text. That would be a very bad way to use a commentary. Um, now, this can take the form of laziness, uh, in which uh, you, you just don't want to do the work of interpreting. So you just accept the first plausible interpretation uh, that you come across. Um, that obviously is not what you should do. You should you should be diligent to study um, and really try to try to be serious about it. Uh, it may also be a matter of placing too much confidence in a particular teacher. If you say, "Well, Matthew Henry says this, and who am I to argue with him?" 
um, then you've essentially set up Matthew Henry as your pope. Um, and as Protestants, I hope we realize that that's not something we should do. Um, you need to study it out because Matthew Henry can make mistakes. Um, all of the Bible commentaries can and do make mistakes. And so uh, you can't just just fall, you know, pick your favorite one and say, well, that's, that's what he said, so I'm just going to go with it. Uh, if, you, if you treat a commentary that way, then um, that's definitely going to be a problem. Another danger uh, is picking up a commentary too early. Um, so if you look at a commentary before you take time to consider for yourself what the text means, you can be led down an incorrect path without ever having considered an alternative. Uh, it's much better to try to interpret the text on your own first. If you were wrong, a correct commentary uh, can get you back on the right track. So you, you study a passage and you come to a conclusion, I think this is what it means, but let's just say, you know, we can look at it from outside. We, you got it wrong, okay? You, you tried to interpret it, you studied it, you got it wrong. You go to a commentary, they're probably going to say some things in there that you're going to say, oh, I missed that. I misinterpreted that. I wasn't reasoning correctly. And they're going to get you back on track. Um, and if you're correct, if you're right in your interpretation, um, then you will be more likely to challenge a commentary that gets it wrong. So if you study a passage, you come to the correct interpretation, you read a commentary, the commentary you know, gets it wrong, um, if that's the case, then um, you're going to be more prepared to say, no, I think they got that wrong because I've already studied it and, you know, and I've come to this conclusion. Now, I mean, you don't want to just dismiss what they say, but you're going to be more prepared to challenge what they say. Um, you know, and if you get it right and the commentary gets it right, you know, then, you know, no harm done. Um, if you both get it wrong, then I, I mean, I don't know what to do there. <laughs> but, uh, but really, like, there's, there's nothing to be lost by trying to study it yourself first. And um, there definitely is something to be lost if you just jump to it too early. Because cause then you're not going to be ready to challenge it if they get it wrong. And sure, if they get it right and you just believe them, then you're fine. But um, it's a lot better to, you know, have studied it and say, I think this is what it is. And then you come to the commentary and it's like, yeah, they're reasoning exactly the same way I did. They came to the same conclusions I did. Um, that gives me greater confidence that I reasoned correctly. So it's it's just a better way to do it, um, and it's a safer way to do it. So some people, though, they will want to avoid commentaries. I don't think that's um, much of a problem in, um, in the Reformed tradition, but um, in some circles, um, people do try to avoid commentaries. Uh, you know, if... If commentaries are dangerous, wouldn't it be safer just to study the Bible without them? I mean, won't the Holy Spirit lead me to understand without bringing in the teaching of others? Uh, I mean, many people have argued this way. What would you say if somebody said that? They say, ah, you know, I should just study the Bible. I don't really need the teachings of men. Um, I just, I just want to study the Bible. 
How would you respond to that if somebody if somebody objected to using commentaries on those grounds? There's all sorts of things in Proverbs that say, you know, listen to older men mm-hmm. and listen to, you know, keep the wise teachers. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't just have to be people that you know today. That can be people from long ago. And many people have brought this up. Uh, C.S. Lewis famously has, where, you know, if you read older writings, they're going to come to different presuppositions, different frames mm-hmm. you, and they're going to be able to see something clearer than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so commentaries from older ones could help, but then also modern commentaries are going to help because they're going to catch some things that they do. So mm-hmm. Right. Getting the full spectrum. Is yeah. Yeah. You're touching on some some things we are going to talk about a little bit later in this discussion, but but those are all very true. So. Any, any other thoughts? You're already reading an interpretation, someone else's work. Yeah. So most of the people would answer who would give you that answer. They're reading an, an English interpretation. Yes. Okay. So if they truly want to study the Bible, then they need to learn their Greek, learn their Hebrew, and their Aramaic. <laughs> that is true. And most of the time, the people that make this objection do not do that. Okay. They're they're trusting somebody else's translation, which is on some level an interpretation. So yeah, that is correct. Yeah. Well, and then there's just the reality that we still struggle with sin. So your your, your premise about well, if you know, will the Holy Spirit not you know, tell me what they would say, you know, what, what it means. That's true, but we don't always listen to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're deceived by our own sin, and we think it's the Holy Spirit when it's really more us. Yeah, and yeah. So, so there's that battle that's not taken into account yeah. in terms of our study. So. Yeah, yeah. The, our, our sin will definitely cloud uh, our interpretation. So, yeah. The, there's no guarantee that the Holy Spirit is going to give every Christian an infallible interpretation of Scripture. So, um, Charles Spurgeon um, addressed this issue, um, and you know he's, he always has a, a great way of saying things. Um, he said, "It seems odd that certain men who talk so much about what the Holy Spirit reveals to themselves should think so little of what He has revealed to others." Um, so. Um, Spurgeon, he's, he's caught them in a serious inconsistency. They, they denigrate the teaching of others as if it was simply human wisdom, uh, while characterizing their teaching as guided by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but Spurgeon is quite right to point out that Christian teachers of the past were also guided by the Holy Spirit. Um, and therefore, uh, I should give... Uh, as much attention to what others have written about the Bible as I do my own thoughts as I study the Bible. Um, I mean, that's the Holy Spirit is, you know, if I'm, if I'm a believer, the Holy Spirit's guiding me. If they were believers, the Holy Spirit was guiding them. And it's, it's all valuable stuff that God has brought um, to, to us for us to learn. Uh, Spurgeon goes on to say, the temptation of our times lie rather in empty pretensions to novelty of sentiment than in slavish following of accepted guides. A respectable acquaintance with the opinions of the giants of the past might have saved many an erratic thinker from wild interpretations and outrageous inferences. So, I mean, yeah, it's we're standing on the shoulders of giants. I mean, that's a that's a famous phrase, and it is very true when it comes to studying the Bible and paying attention to what uh, Christians in the past um, have uh, have written about what the Bible means. 
Um, God has been helping His people come to come. God has been helping His people to come to a fuller understanding of the Bible for centuries, and we should take advantage of that. Uh, if we come here and listen to Pastor Rick interpreting the Scriptures, and we're edified edified by it, why shouldn't we listen to Matthew Henry or John Calvin or Charles Spurgeon or John Owen? Uh, the Holy Spirit has taught all of them, and we should we should listen to them just like we listen to Pastor Rick. And nobody sits here and says, "Oh, Pastor Rick, he's he's interpreting it for me. I should just I should just stay home and read the Bible." And it's like, no, that just doesn't it doesn't work that way. God has given us teachers to build up the church. Um, now, somebody might still object, uh, and they say, "Well, yes, the Holy Spirit has taught people in the past, but." You know, maybe, maybe it's just like a personal thing. If I if I read what other people said about the Bible, I'm going to color my perspective. Um, I, I want to draw my theology out of the text, not read my theology into it. Uh, I should just read the Bible for myself and stop there, so that I don't bring, bring bias to the text. How would you respond to that? It's a little little different of objection, but Ben. Or, no, what he said earlier uh-huh. makes sense with the whole like sin is affecting our reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But then what I was saying earlier about different historical perspectives, we can have blind spots in our history mm-hmm. yeah. that we don't know. Yeah, it's, it's true. Blind spot. You guys have you guys have kind of already answered my question, but yeah. Well, but if I could add something, uh-huh. too, yeah. what you said earlier is really important. Uh, that reading commentaries doesn't hinder that from happening. Mm-hmm. If you actually spend your time studying the text, mm-hmm. using the tools and doing all that, then using commentaries mm-hmm. to check you, mm-hmm. or maybe to answer questions that you had that you didn't get answered or whatever, mm-hmm. then then you're still doing both of those things. Mm-hmm. So the commentaries just sort of strengthen you. Mm-hmm. They're like a safety net in some ways to, yeah. to, to sort of make sure you're not going off on some wacko crazy path right. and things like that. So yeah. it, it can be very, very, very helpful. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, so in a sense, this objection is is talking about a real danger. Right. But it's like if you just start with the commentary, then you're yeah you're you're much more likely to fall into that problem. Um, but if you study it first, then it's you're going to minimize the risk of that. Um, another quote here, uh, D. A. Carson. Um, he he kind of a- approached this from attacking the idea of being able to approach the Bible without bias, which, you know, basically he says is just something you can't actually do. Um, he says, uh, but if we sometimes read our own theology into the text, the solution is not to retreat to an attempted neutrality to try to make one's mind a tabula rasa, so we may listen to the text without bias. It cannot be done, and it is a fallacy to think it can be. We must rather discern what our prejudices are and make allowances for them. And meanwhile, we should learn all the historical theology we can. One well-known seminary insists that proper exegetical method will guarantee such a high quality of exegesis that historical theology may be safely ignored. I can think of no better way of cultivating the soil that sprouts either heresy or the shallowest sort of traditionalism. I mean, I think this is just a great quote. There, it's just that's going to be the problem. I mean, you're you're just going to go off the rails, or you're just going to say, well, this is this is what you know, this is what we teach, this is what we've always te- taught, um, and just not be aware of anything in history 
um, what anybody else is taught to ever enrich your thought. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like kind of you know, going off on that, uh, both of your thoughts there were, you know, where you said, you know, people say, well, it's just me and my Bible under a tree and I don't need anything else. Mm-hmm. Or, well, you know, I, I just kind of want to um, be free of uh, any other bias. Mm-hmm. I mean, just using D.A. Carson's own thought there, I mean, that leads you to you know, either radically... Uh, it leads you to radical skepticism of the Bible, where you're like, well, you know, nobody can really understand what it says. That's my interpretation. Your interpretation may be different, and that's all okay. Right. Right. Or it leads you to, well, I need, you know, like you said the other day, the other side of the road, as well, we need an infallible interpreter, and that's how you get it. Yeah. So it's too, it's the wagon wheel, right? Yeah. Yeah, you got You got to stay in the middle. You got to stay balanced. You can't fall off on either side. Yeah, absolutely. So now that we've you know talked about kind of the dangers and objections, how do you safely use a commentary? I mean, we've kind of addressed this to some degree, but I mean, let me give you some steps for how to safely use a commentary and the. The first point I have is one that we have already talked about here. Study the text for yourself first. That's where you should start. You should start by studying it out, trying to trying to get um, an understanding of it uh, before you pick up a commentary. Um, if possible, have a preliminary interpretation before you pick up a commentary. I mean, don't just say, "Okay, I've read it." Oh, I've made some observations. Like, really try to come to a conclusion. This is what's being said. Now, you will come to texts where you can't do that. So I want to throw in that caveat. You know, it's like sometimes you come to a text and you study it and you study it and you study it and you're like, I just can't figure out what this means. You know, fortunately, there's not that many texts like that in the Bible. But sometimes that does happen. Um, And uh, so... Do your best to have at least a preliminary interpretation. Realizing that it might be challenged, you might change it. Try to have a preliminary interpretation of the text before you pick up the commentary. That's right. And then evaluate the commentary as you read it. Um, ask the question: Is it making the same observations and raising the same questions that you did in your study? You know, last time we talked about you know making observations, asking questions of the text. Does the does the commentator ask those same questions? Does the commentator make those same observations? Does it seem like they're doing a good job, or are they just glossing over things that you know that you missed? Um, is it weighing the pros and cons of multiple interpretations? Is it saying, well, we could interpret it this way, or we could interpret it that way? And here's kind of like what's good about this interpretation, what's bad about this interpretation. Is it is really wrestling with that, or is it just kind of saying, this is the right interpretation, don't worry about any other interpretation. Um, so, yeah, and, and is it is it glossing over things? Is it just skipping over things, missing things that you think are important based on your study of the text? So that'll kind of help you as you're looking at the commentary. It's like, well, is it, is it really a good commentary? Is it really a thorough commentary? How helpful is this commentary going to be? Um, you should also evaluate your own study as you read the commentary. Um, did you miss things that you should have caught in the text? 
And that's something where you can challenge yourself to be more thorough the next time you try to study a text. It's just like, oh yeah, they're pointing that out, and I should have caught that. I mean, you know, some things just like, oh yeah, I never would have caught that. Uh, you know, and that's that's fine, you know. But um, is the stuff you should have caught, then you probably should work a little harder. Um, did you make false assumptions that the commentary corrected? Um, you know, you could read a text, come to a, what you think is the right interpretation, and then you look at the commentary, and you're like, oh, yeah, they, they're challenging what I'm saying, and they're pointing out that basically that I assumed this, which I shouldn't have assumed, um, and so that was where I went wrong. So, so evaluate yourself when you're, uh, evaluate your own study as you read the commentary. And then uh, next, look at multiple commentaries. Now you can, you know, you can pick up two or three commentaries or you can, you know, just go all out and, you know, look at a dozen or more. Um, just depends on how much time you have and what resources you have. Um, but it's just very useful to look at different commentaries because they're going to have different takes on things. Um, specifically, try to find commentaries that disagree so that you can see both sides argued. Uh, Proverbs 18.17 says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes, comes and examines him. Um, I mean, that's just something that's just true in life. People can often make arguments, they can present a view, and it really sounds good. And then as soon as somebody comes along and says, okay, but, and they start asking questions, then suddenly like, oh yeah, that doesn't really work. They just presented it in a way that works. Um, and so, you know, and people can do this even with the best intentions, where it's like, they, they think they've studied it out, they think they're right, they present their view, um, and just accidentally leave out the things that are challenging to it. Um, I mean, sometimes people do that deliberately, but it, it can be done accidentally by good, well-meaning Christians. Um, and if you find a commentary that challenges that and explains why they don't think that's right, then that's going to give you more tools for evaluating what's the correct interpretation. I mean, ideally, you know, if you if there's like basically two interpretations of the text, and you find, you know, you know, commentators on both sides that are really interacting with all the arguments, uh, you know, for and against, then that's that's the ideal situation because then you can really look at, um, you know, what what are all the what are the what are the perspectives, what are the arguments for and against. I mean, you can you can get by with it where it's like. I think this is the correct interpretation. Here's the other interpretations. Here's my evaluation of their arguments. Uh, but it's a lot better if you get the other side's arguments from somebody who actually thinks that they carry the weight of the proper interpretation. So if possible, try to get commentaries that, that disagree so that you can see both sides argued. And, uh, and finally, um, make the commentary persuade you. Don't just accept it. Um, just because somebody says something in a commentary, doesn't matter how much you respect them, uh, you shouldn't just say, oh, well, yeah, they, they said it, so that, that must be the right interpretation. Um, just really just ask the text. I mean, you know, it, it seems weird to like, you know, obviously it's not going to give you a direct answer. Um, 
but just like really try to find the answers. It's like, well, these are the questions I have. These are the challenges I have for the interpretation you're presenting. Do you give me good answers to those things? Do you respond to my objections? Um, and uh, just, you know, really like look for that in the commentary and um, don't just accept it just because just because they said it. Hope that's clear. Um, so those are those are kind of my thoughts on how to safely use a commentary. Um, it's a little extra work. You can't just pick it up and read it. Um, you have to you have to do work. You have to do work studying the Bible, and you got to do work studying the commentary. Um, but hopefully that will help to solve some of the um, some of the the dangers of using commentaries. So now, um, a word about study Bibles. Hey, Chris, can I? Yes, sir. And if you're going to move on from commentaries, mm-hmm. uh, one thing to remember, too, is not all commentaries are equal. They mm-hmm. have different purposes. So there are some that are written to, to deal with the technical, maybe linguistic issues mm-hmm. or things like that. So they're not going to tell you everything that they're always to know about the text. They're going to focus on that area. There are other commentaries that are really nothing more than pastor sermons, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, they're not going to necessarily deal with all the complex issues and stuff like that. So when you pick up a commentary, understand the purpose for which that commentary was written, and that may help you Mm -hmm. because you may walk away very frustrated, you know, if you you don't really understand the purpose. And that's where having five different commentaries or something like that may be helpful, not only from a theological perspective of this side or that side, but also then understand and might deal with the different emphasis or focus. Yeah, so. yeah, that's a, that, is, that is a very good point because um, yeah, they they are written from a, you know for a different purpose basically, um, and so yeah, if you if you're ex, if you come to it and you're like really like wanting to dig in the argu- dig into the arguments and the commentator just not writing that way, you know then you might get really frustrated with them. Even though they're not, they're not trying to be frustrating. It's just that's not their purpose. So that is a very good point. So thank you for adding that. We do have a little section on choosing commentary, so it kind of touches on that. But that, I didn't have that exact point, so I appreciate that. Um, so um, study Bibles. Um, a study Bible is basically a little commentary that's printed in your Bible. Um, it can be useful, but it has all the dangers of a commentary. Um, and study Bibles, uh, I mean, study Bibles are more convenient than commentaries, but it also means that they are more dangerous. Um, if you read a passage that isn't immediately obvious in its interpretation, it is so easy to just look at the bottom of the page and get the answer. Um, that, that temptation is just there. Um, and this di- discourages thoughtful reflection on the text. Uh, the same problem exists with commentaries, but it's so much easier to fall into this with a study Bible. It's just right there. It's like I don't have to go over to my bookshelf. I don't have to bring up the the Bible software or the you know the web page and look look up these commentaries. It's just like it's just right there at the bottom of my page. Um, and so you could just be tempted to just look straight down there without ever even really considering the meaning of the text. Um, and 
I've never seen anybody carry around multiple study Bibles so that they can look at multiple perspectives. I, mean, I, just, I just haven't seen that. Maybe somebody does. but um, So, I mean, unless you're using your study Bible in conjunction with other commentaries, you are limited to the perspective of either a single person or a single committee, whoever put that study Bible together. So you're, you're basically, you're encouraging yourself to not look at the text first, just go straight to the interpretation, and you're, um, you're not allowing yourself to look at multiple sources. If you, you know, if you, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm saying that, you know, people shouldn't use study Bibles. Um, Sometimes when I talk about this, people think that's what I'm saying. But you have to use extreme caution with them because they are, in a sense, a commentary that's more dangerous than a normal commentary. So I, I hope that's clear. So uh, just be very cautious with the way you use your study Bible. Make sure that you're actually trying to come to an interpretation um, before you just go to what the, the text says. And um, if at all possible, when you can look at other places that you know other other interpretations so that you're not just limited to one perspective so hope that's clear but but i mean otherwise you know they basically function as commentaries they're just a a short commentary that's printed in your bible any thoughts or questions about that actually the benefit of the study bible i think is all those books you have up there Mm -hmm. It's all there. Mm-hmm. You know, it has the maps, it has the cross references, mm-hmm. it has the, you know, things like that. So, yeah. as far as convenience, mm-hmm. it, it, if you if you use well, yes. it, it can be very yeah. helpful. But but there are limitations. Yeah. You've got to yeah. understand that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Yeah, they they are they are very convenient. But you just you have to be aware of the dangers. So yes. Um. So now choosing commentaries. Um. So I would say um, choose commentaries from people who believe that the Bible is the word of God. That's kind of my my number one thing. Uh, If the the commentator believes that the author may contradict himself or may be mistaken due to ignorance or may be at odds with another biblical author, uh, the interpretation of the text that they provide will be negatively affected. I mean, that's just going to happen. Not to say you can't get anything out of commentaries written by people who don't actually believe the Bible is the Word of God. Sometimes you can get useful uh, information out of there, but overall they are not going to be reliable guides because they're going to allow for things in their interpretation that Christians just shouldn't allow for. Um, you know, you can't just say, oh yeah, this is what, you know, this is what Paul meant, but he just didn't know what he was talking about. I mean, that's... That's obviously not what you should, uh, the way you should approach it. So do your best to get uh, commentaries where the people actually believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Um, consider the technical level of the commentary. Um, some commentaries require a great deal, or sorry, a great degree of facility with the original languages. Um, others assume that you only know English, and so any discussion of the original languages will be thoroughly explained. Will be thoroughly explained rather than simply presented. So, um, just I mean, if you can handle a more technical commentary, that's great. Um, if you just get lost looking at the technical commentary because you just don't know the Greek language, and you know they make reference to to things in the Greek language you just don't know anything about, then make sure you're looking at a commentary that's less technical. Um, and it's going to explain those things. 
And then what Pastor Rick brought up that I didn't have in my notes is like pay attention to what the you, what the purpose of the commentary is because some of them are intended to be more technical in the sense of more delving into the meaning of the text, uh, whereas some of them are more pastoral, I guess, more on the on the end of things where they're simply presenting a sermon. Um, and you know, those are all useful. And just be aware of what you're looking at and and what you're going to get out of it. Um, and while it is good to, this is going to harken back to something Ben said earlier, while it's good to use commentaries from those who tend to share your views, it's also good to mix in commentaries uh, that come from different perspectives. Uh, you may disagree with them 90% of the time, uh, but they will help you, they will help your thought process as you seek to interpret the text. Um, and in the same vein, um, consult commentaries from different time periods. If you only read commentaries from hundreds of years ago, you will miss out on the advancements that the church has made in biblical interpretation. If you only read commentaries from recent times, you will be less likely to overcome the prevailing 21st century blind spots. Um, and it's very much appealing to C.S. Lewis's notion of you know reading books from different centuries. Um, so... Um, those are just some some thoughts on like on how you choose commentaries. Um, I know there are some references out there. There's um, I think it's a I think it's actually like a physical book that they update once in a while that kind of like goes over commentaries and gives you a little uh, blurb. I can't remember who different authors do that. Um, you know, I, I've seen different ones, but that the Carson, I think, is one of those. Uh, yeah. So, so I mean, you can find references where people will actually just like list the commentaries and kind of give you a little blurb about like you know what to know about that commentary. Um, but I mean, it's commentaries are constantly being printed, and so that's one of the things where like just getting on the internet and doing searches can be your friend because you can find people discussing the commentaries and kind of try to get an evaluation for you know for what commentaries you should use you know if you're if you decide you really want to delve into the book of Galatians you know just you know do a search for commentaries on Galatians uh, you know maybe throw in some extra words on there from a reform perspective or something like that if you want to make sure you kind of pad your results in the direction that's going to be most helpful but again don't don't limit yourself to you know looking at it from a reform perspective look at other perspectives as well um, many commentaries you're going to be able to find online for free or be able to pick up paper copies for very cheap. Um, you know, John Calvin's commentaries are available for free. Uh, I mean, on the internet at least. Um, uh, Matthew Henry, his is. Um, various, I mean, you know, older commentaries that are not under copyright anymore are going to be found that way. Um, and you can, a lot of the Bible software is going to have lots of commentaries. Um, you know, a lot of it's going to be the public domain stuff, but sometimes it's going to have stuff that's included either for free or for a very low price that is uh, more modern commentaries. Um, there's not really just like the simple way to like, here, go to this website and it's going to give you all the commentaries, but... Um, it's something where just a little bit of research should be able to point you to uh, some good commentaries to use uh, as you're studying the Bible. Any questions or thoughts about any of that? I, I would highly recommend 
the Bible software uh-huh. because you know commentaries. If you go out and buy a book, mm-hmm. you, you could spend you know probably thirty-five to seventy dollars on mm-hmm. one volume. But if you get you know a Bible software, sometimes you can buy packages where you can get it for you know three dollars a, a book. Mm-hmm. You know, way cheaper. Yes. Plus, commentaries take up a lot of space. Too. That's true. So it just you know. And and lots of like the eSword. The uh-huh. eSword is one that that I used before I got into the ministry. I think mm-hmm. it's just a good mm-hmm. basic uh, Bible software and things. It gives all the different pieces, and it's free, uh-huh. right? You know, and yeah. stuff like that. So it's that, that's really good. But you can get more advanced ones, like you said. Mm-hmm. You know, mentioned the other ones. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely going the the Bible software route will save you lots of money and save you lots of shelf space. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, we're gonna. We're going to attempt, rather than you know doing an in-class exercise, we're going to attempt a homework exercise. It's voluntary, um, so like, I mean, I'll be disappointed if nobody does it, but uh, but uh, I, I would love it if you if you could do this. And it's part of it is just the practical aspect of like bringing a whole bunch of commentaries in here or cutting and pasting a whole bunch of excerpts from commentaries would just be just a bit cumbersome. So. Um, so you've got a week. Um, what I want you to do is I want you to look at Romans chapter 7. Specifically, Romans 7.24, uh, Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And so the question is, who is the wretched man in Romans 7? Um, and... If you, if you look at the commentaries, you will see that that is a hotly debated topic. Um, so it's something that I, I kind of picked it just because I know there's lots of discussion uh, on both sides that exists in the commentaries. So, um, again, I don't know what resources everybody has, um, but, again, it's not that hard to just pull up, you know, a handful of free commentaries on the internet so you can at least get some kind of perspective there. Um, if you have access to more than that, that's great. You look at your Bible, uh, your, your study Bibles. Um, they may have some discussion on this as well. Um, but I would definitely encourage you to not just go home and look up the commentaries on Romans 7, but start by going home and reading Romans 7 and going through this, the steps of trying to make observations, asking interpretive questions, um, try to get a grasp on what the text is talking about, um, paying attention to the context. I mean, a lot of the context is is there in the latter part of Romans 7, but it spills out, you know, into other chapters in Romans. Um, and so uh, if you have time to work on it, then really attempt to try to, to wrestle with that issue. You know, and, and that, that's the interpretive question you want to answer, though, is like, who is Paul talking about there? Uh, and just 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 to give you a heads up, so you kind of know what you're looking for, the, the big debate is, is Paul talking about himself as a regenerate believer, or is he strictly referring to himself before he was converted and wouldn't speak of himself that way after his conversion. Um, that's kind of the debate. So um, I would just encourage you, if you have time, as much as you're able with the resources you have, try to study that. 
and after you've come to some conclusions about what you think about the text, then try to go look at some commentaries and see how that um, affects your interpretation and what what arguments you see pop up that maybe you didn't think of as you were studying it yourself. Um, and then uh, next week when we come back, we'll, we'll kind of try to discuss uh, what you guys found. And if and if anybody like has any questions, want to be wants to be pointed to any resources, um, then feel free to contact me. I wouldn't be surprised if Pastor Rick has looked at this to some degree and has some resources that he could point you to as well. So. Um, just you know, don't don't hesitate to ask for help if you if you want to work on it and just you know don't know where to go. Um, but anyway, so we'll we'll see how that goes with just doing a little homework exercise and and seeing uh, seeing if you guys can put some of what we've studied over the last several weeks into practice. Any questions? All right, let's uh, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father. God, you are so good to us that you have provided your word to us. And uh, God, it is so easy to neglect our duty to study your word, to really work at it and try to interpret it correctly. God, I just pray that you would just give us hearts that are set on knowing your word, on applying it to our lives. God, that we would be people who just are, are willing to put in the work to study your word, that you would guard us from error, that you would uh, guard us from, uh, from arrogance as we study. Lord, that we would simply humbly accept uh, whatever, the, the, whatever your word says. Um, and God, just that you would continue to work in us through your word to transform us, conform us to the image of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.